Greetings and salutations out there, everybody, all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another wonderful, awesome, glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I am always your humble, yet glorious, and awesome host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. We've got another huge episode jam-packed of so much awesomeness. We've got stuff in wrestling, great stuff happening in the squared circle as we move to WrestleMania and stuff surrounding WrestleMania. So that should be awesome to talk about. And of course, we've got Major League Baseball opening day is happening. It is happening this week. I'm excited to give you my picks on that. But of course, we've got to start with talking about the NCAA basketball tournament. It has been a very chalky tournament so far. It has still been filled with awesomeness. The ratings are at an all-time high. They're the highest ratings in 28 years. So it shows that people are watching. They're excited about it. The ratings have been better than anything the NBA has been putting out with lately, which goes to show you, hey, these guys are actually trying hard. Meanwhile, the NBA, we're all just waiting on the Warriors to win the title. We'll see what ends up happening. We'll break down, of course, all the NBA stuff when the playoffs are set there. But the NCAA tournament has been great, full of great stuff with basketball. Great moments. We'll talk about some of those here in a moment, and it has been very chalky. You've got a lot of things. My bracket is looking pretty good right now. I'm sitting in the top spot, of course, in the Outlander Media uh, group with the tournament pool and everything right now. I've got, I think I had 13 of the Sweet 16 teams picked. I've got all my Elite 8 still going, so I've got everything in front of me. So I'm looking pretty good, but the tournament, they're loving it because, again, You've got a lot of chalk, which kind of shows, again, when you look at the ratings, as much as fans like me love Cinderella's, we love seeing teams like Loyola Chicago or George Mason or VCU, teams like that making runs, Butler making these runs to the finals and the final four, but a lot of casual fans really don't. They want to see names of teams that they know, so they're going to tune in and watch, especially if they're an alumni. Say if Duke, my cousin, he is a graduate of Duke Law Uh, and Duke undergrad. His wife is a uh, Duke law graduate as well. They don't really sit and watch Duke basketball day in and day out like a lot of people do, but when they're in the tournament, they're going to pay attention. When they're not, they're not going to watch, so they don't care if Loyola Chicago makes it. They're going to watch their school. So we'll just see how this evolves as we go and see how the ratings pick up once these big names get going. But again, let's just break down the team's In each region, starting in the east, you've got Duke, Virginia Tech, LSU, and Michigan State, the top four seeds all advancing there. In the western uh, region, you've got Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech, and Michigan, again, all the top four seeds. In the south region, you've got Virginia, you've got Oregon, the 12 seed, the only double-digit seed to advance, Purdue, the three, and of course, my beloved Vols, the two seed. In the Midwest region, you've got North Carolina, Auburn as a five, Houston, and Kentucky. So the top three seeds in all the regions have advanced, and you've got two of the four seeds still in there. Only Auburn and Oregon are the outliers as a five seed, which a lot of people thought was going to make a pretty deep run in this tournament. I had them in the Sweet 16, and then Oregon a lot of people had as well. So one of the sad things, though, when you look at all of this is the fact that you've got 
five teams, the Power Five conferences have been dominating this. You've got five teams from the ACC, four from the SEC, three from the Big Ten. You've got a team from the Big 12, a team from the Pac-12, and then the two outliers not from Power Five conferences. You've got Gonzaga from the West Coast Conference, but they've been a perennial power in college basketball for a long time, so that's not really considered a a mid-major when it comes to the team. And Houston, coming out of the American Conference, which is still technically you consider, especially in football, a mid-major, but they had four uh, bids from their conference make the NCAA tournament this year. So it's not out of a really small or a low basketball. It's not a one-bid league that they're coming out of. So you've still got the big boys are dominating this year. So you see that, and we'll see what happens as this breaks down and we get closer and closer to the Final Four. But it should be some really good basketball. It's going to be a slugfest from some heavyweights. You're not going to have, of course, just that... 100 to 1 shot getting and just draining threes and just playing out of their mind basketball making it to the final four you're not going to have a Loyola run with that you're just going to have these big boys slugging it out which still should be some great basketball but it's just not going to have that Cinderella moment that I think a lot of people miss especially big sports fans like me who love watching this tournament every year so we'll see of course my beloved Vols had some of the most interesting moments in this tournament with narrow escapes over Colgate and Iowa. Just cannot hold first-half leads. Tennessee, I believe, had a 12-point lead uh, in their first-round matchup with Colgate, which evaporated as Colgate was just bombing away threes. And Tennessee just was not responding on defense. And then Iowa, again, Tennessee had a 25-point lead at one point, a 21-point lead lead at the half, and they let that go all the way down to a tie ball game, and they had to win that game in overtime. Tennessee running into some issues with just, again, these leads vanishing, and it has not been great. They have showed resolve. I will give them credit, as I've talked about before. They're a veteran team, so they're not panicking, but I kind of wish they would go like what North Carolina did against Washington, where they get the big lead, and then they make it a little bit bigger and just keep their foot on the throat and not let them get back up. But that, what I saw with Tennessee, especially against Iowa, and again, I've been a Tennessee fan, so I've seen things like this happen, so it, it wasn't a surprise. It was still stressing me out like nobody's business while watching the game, but my antenna started to pick up. It was early in the second half where Tennessee, I think, had three or four offensive rebounds on the same possession, so we kept getting the ball back, which was great, but we got no points out of it, and we ended up turning the ball over, and that was Tennessee's just problem in that game, especially against Iowa was the 11 second-half turnovers that I believe we had, which, again, just let Iowa come back into this game. So we'll just see what ends up happening with Tennessee as they move on. I I mean, Grant Williams was huge in overtime. Jordan Bowen hitting that big three also in the extra five minutes. So they did show resolve in surviving in advance, which is the name of the game. I know it's the name of the game, survive in advance, but damn, I would like to relax a little bit in one of these games. I don't know how much more my heart can really take, so we'll see. But anyway, I do have Tennessee. They're facing Purdue, which is going to be an interesting test because Purdue does have uh, the, the top scorer left in the tournament 
I think he averaged about 23 points a game. His name's Carson Edwards. Helps if I mention who the guy is. But Carson Edwards has had himself a great tournament so far, including 42 points in the 87-61 win that they had over the defending champ Villanova Wildcats. So the defending champs are out. The Big East has had just a miserable tournament. They're gone. Marquette got blasted by Murray State. John Morant having a triple-double, so congratulations to him. There have been some other kind of great moments when you look at some great you know tournament memorable moments duke surviving and advancing as well as they barely defeated uh, central florida in the second round it was a one point game and central florida had the looks they had the 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 ball on the rim and it just spins out and falls down and duke survives and advances but what a just an amazing game that was zion williamson having 32 points of course he misses the free throw but then cam reddish gets it with the put back in the final seconds to at least put duke up with the chance to win and they were able to get that done another crazy one lsu even without their head coach are still advancing they have made it i had them losing to maryland because they didn't have their head coach maryland made a great comeback but lsu getting the basket there at the end uh to to advance university of virginia uva we all thought okay they're gonna get this this monkey off their back they're not gonna have any problem with a 16 seed this year they were down by more than double digits in the first half to gardner webb a team who had never been to the tournament before and luckily this time people were ready just to start firing everybody involved with uva at that point because it lose to a 16 seed twice it had never happened once and yet you lose to them twice but luckily uva was able to right the ship and then they looked great uh, beating down Oklahoma in the second round. Some of the teams that I thought have looked great so far, Gonzaga really hasn't had any problems advancing to the second round. Michigan has looked solid. Michigan State has looked solid. North Carolina has looked great. Auburn has looked phenomenal. I mean, yes, they had to get out of that crazy ending of that game against New Mexico State where it looked like neither team wanted to really win the game. It was kind of just like nobody could make a shot at the end, but luckily Auburn was able to hang on, but they just dismantled Kansas and finally put Kansas's miserable season out to pasture. So Auburn advances. Kentucky has looked solid. Wofford is a solid mid-major team, so the fact that they only won that game by six points shouldn't be really something you need to look down on with Kentucky yes they still don't have PJ Washington we'll see if he has them for this next group of games we'll see what happens there but again we're shaping up to be a very exciting sweet 16 elite eight and of course we'll break all of that down here on the next episodes of modern day gladiators as they get going so it's been fun one of the things you got to look at though too is the betting favorites in all of these games in the second round they all won outright. They didn't all beat the spread. Like Tennessee, I think, was a seven and a half point favorite when the ball tipped. They lost. They won by six points in overtime. So, but all of the betting favorites won outright. So that's how big that's been. There weren't that many upsets when you look at everything, of course, as well. Yes, Oregon made it, but they beat. Uh, California at Irvine, the Anteaters in the second round, who pulled off the upset over Kansas State. So that was really the big one. The Oregon-Wisconsin game was kind of a toss-up with that 12-5 matchup. So we'll see. I'm excited. My bracket's still looking great. I've got advancing to the Elite Eight in these games. I've got Duke beating Virginia Tech. I've got Michigan State advancing over LSU. I've got Gonzaga beating Florida State. I've got Michigan beating Texas Tech. I've got Virginia 
beating Oregon. I've got Tennessee advancing uh, over Purdue. I've got North Carolina beating Auburn. And then I've got Kentucky beating North Carolina. And again, my final four, I've got Duke, Michigan, Virginia, and Kentucky. We'll see how that all shapes up, of course, as we talk next week. And of course, you can also follow us on our Facebook page, Modern Day Gladiators There. You can check us out where I post live videos. I posted one after I got off work and was able to finally uh, talk a little bit more about the Tennessee-Iowa game after it happened, after my heart had finally gotten back to a normal heart rate. So I was able to get in and talk about that. So check that out. Give us a like there. You can check out the videos as well. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. You can check us out on Instagram, Modern Day Gladiators. You can, of course, go to outlandermedia.net where you can check out all the other great podcasts that we've got, including Halfel, uh, DLC Respawn, uh, Deadbeat Radio, Phantasm, more great ones to come as well. So a lot of great podcasts there on the Outlander Media Network. And, of course, you can download us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. And, of course, the best thing you can do for us, of course, as always, is like, subscribe, share, rate, review. Give us those five-star reviews. Give us those comments. That helps us get out into the algorithm more. So the more five-star reviews and comments you give us, the better it is, no matter what platform you listen to us on. So you can check us out there. We do appreciate it. Back into the tournament stuff here. We're going to talk women's basketball here really quick, mostly leading with the Lady Vols. This was the interesting thing as the Lady Vols lost to UCLA 89-77 in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which you would think with the way this tournament went, that was pretty much the way, the probably the most disappointing and embarrassing season the Lady Vols have ever had was going to end. Uh, the Lady Vols, this is only the second time they lost in the first round. Uh, the only time they did that before, I believe, was, I think, 2008-2009. They had just won. The, they were the, the defending national champions, but Candace Parker and all the starters from the, that team had left. But Tennessee, of course, still had top recruits. It's the Lady Vols. It's Coach Summit. Th- they did run into a rough patch. They ended up being a five seed, but they lost to Ball State, which just put just a real damper. Tennessee had never missed the Sweet 16, let alone the tournament up to that point. So that was kind of a shock, but Pat Summit was able to at least to right the ship and get the Lady Vols back to the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight uh, before she had to retire because of the Alzheimer's that had set in and then passed it to Holly Warlick. But they, they were still able to at least be competitive. But this has been just a terrible season for the Lady Vols. They failed to win 20 games for the first time in 42 years. Uh, they had the first ever six-game losing streak. The first loss at home to Vanderbilt, a Vanderbilt team that was not very good at all. They barely got into this tournament. I think beating LSU in the SEC Women's Tournament was the only reason they got in. So, And again, losing in the first round for only the second time in program history. And again, it's one of these things... Do you get rid of Holly Warlick at this point? We'll see. I mean, you talk about, they always talk about needing to change the attitude of the program. Unfortunately, I think the only way you can do that really is to get rid of the coach. I love Holly Warlick. She has been there with Coach Summit for pretty much ever at this point. And she moved on. She became the head coach, but it just looks like we might have to just get some new ideas in. Bring a Tennessee person, maybe. I know, I think the Louisville head coach has been getting some looks. We'll see what happens there. But I think it's time to change and make a change as the head 
person here for the Lady Vols basketball and send it in a new direction. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Of course, we'll talk more about that if news breaks about any changes there. Could I see Holly Warlick getting one more year? Sure, but I think at this point, I think it's time to make a change after the absolute worst season of Lady Vols basketball since Pat Summit had become head coach. We want to take a quick stroll back into history before we go to break here. 40 years ago today, as of this recording Tuesday, March 26, 2019, it was the epitome of college basketball in terms of tournament and the NCAA final. It was between Indiana State, the Sycamores, and Michigan State. Why is that important? Because Indiana State, the Sycamores, were led by Larry Bird, and Michigan State that year was headed by Magic Johnson. It was that Bird versus Magic game. Uh, Magic Johnson was able to get the win with Michigan State 75-64, but that set off both guys. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson went into the NBA draft. They were drafted by Larry Bird, was drafted by the Boston Celtics, and Magic Johnson was drafted by the Lakers. They had that huge rivalry with Boston and L.A., Celtics versus Lakers. They had a rivalry. They had a friendship that blossomed out of this rivalry that happened, both teams winning multiple championships over the other. It really revitalized the NBA. The NBA had been uh, just down to the, I mean, the finals were on tape delay. There was just a mess of things going on there. So having Bird versus Magic really made the NBA what it is today. And then, of course, Michael Jordan sent it into the stratosphere. But those guys were really the linchpin. And they, of course, faced each other first in the NCAA tournament, the highest tournament game ever in terms of television ratings. That game was everywhere. Everybody talked about it. It was must-see TV back then. So I want to give a hats off to Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and everybody involved. 40 years ago today, a tremendous NCAA tournament final played, I believe, in the pit in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the Lobos played. So not in these big domed stadiums that you have now. So that was a pretty awesome tidbit in history. And we'll leave it right there at the end of this first segment here on Modern Day Gladiators. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back with shibbles and bits and wrestling talk after this. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. You hear the music, you know it's time for shibbles and bits, all the other stuff going on in the sports world that I think we need to talk about and break down just a little bit. It's one of the best times of the year, of course, we've been talking NCAA tournament for basketball, but the other big thing, of course, that happens here in the springtime is MLB Major League Baseball opening day is here. It's starting this week. It starts Thursday. Some of the games they played, of course, two games over in Japan with the Mariners and the Athletics, which of course gave uh, Ichiro a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer a chance to retire back in his home country of Japan, which was awesome. They did that one right. All the other players left the field and Ichiro was able to come out uh, from his outfield position and just get just bask in the applause and everything for a career well played. Of course, he made it big in Japan before he came over and played for Seattle forever. Just one of the best 
hitters of all time in Major League Baseball. Again, first ballot Hall of Famer, a tip of the cap, uh, a true modern-day gladiator when it comes to just playing every day and being a great baseball player and a great ambassador for the sport. So we wish Ichiro well on whatever he chooses to do in retirement in baseball but uh, there's definitely a spot for him coming up in Cooperstown. There will be a plaque there for him. I guarantee you that. But opening day, it means it's time to pick some winners, and we'll see how right I am or how completely wrong I am (laughs) come October with some of these. But we'll break it all down. We'll pick the winners of each division, starting in the AL East. I've got to go with the defending champs. I'm not going against Boston. Yes, the Yankees have added some stuff to their bullpen, and they look great again. I do think the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to have just another great rivalry and great series of back-and-forth stuff on who's going to win the American League East, but I'm going with the defending champs. I'm going with the Boston Red Sox to get the uh, pennant in that one. The AL Central still going with the Indians. I do think the Twins can be a threat out there, but I think the Indians still have the most established club out there. I've got them winning the Central. Out in the West, the Houston Astros, I think they're still loaded. I think they are just going to be ones again to contend for a World Series championship. But you got to look at the A's again, who have done so much with so little. They can be a contender again. They don't really have a starting pitching rotation, but they've got a lot of great arms there. So we'll see what Billy Bean and some of that money ball Uh, tactics are going to use when it comes to pitching. So that should be very interesting to watch out for. And of course, Mike Trout getting the huge contract, 12 years, $430 million. That's a lot of money, but he's going to be with the Angels, it looks like, for the rest of his career, at least the next uh, 12 years, really. I mean, that's how long the contract is. So that should be great to look at. I do think they can be a factor, uh, but we'll see. I do think the Astros are still the best team by far out west in the American League. When it comes to the wild card, I've got the Yankees getting in, and then I've got the Oakland A's also getting in in that one. But I would not be surprised if the Angels got in. I wouldn't be surprised if the Twins got in either. But again, my pennant winners, Boston, Cleveland, and Houston. And then I've got the New York Yankees and the Oakland Athletics making the wild card in the American League. Over in the uh, National League, over in the senior circuit, I've got the Phillies. They signed a lot of great guys, including a Bryce Harper. So they've got some talent there. I do have the Phillies winning the East, though I do think it's going to be very competitive out there where you've got the Nationals still have great pitching, and maybe the monkey is off their back with having to deal with Bryce Harper. So maybe that's not going to be an issue for them. We'll see how all of that goes, but I do have the Phillies there. Of course, Atlanta is going to be another uh, factor out there after they had a great season last year winning the NL East. So we'll just see, but I do have the Phillies getting the win in the Central. It's going to be another great matchup between the Brewers and the Cubs. I do have the Cubs winning that division. I do think they've got one more great run left in this group, so I'm going to go with the Cubbies there. Out West, The Dodgers have been the established power for a long time, but I'm going with the Colorado Rockies. I think they've got a great lineup. I think they've got some good pitching that can adapt to what happens with the elevation up there at Coors Field, but I am going with the Rockies getting the win out west. And then in the wild card, I've got the the Braves, and then I've got the Dodgers in the wild card in the National League. So in the National League, I've got my winners of the divisions. I've got the Phillies, the Cubs, and the Rockies. And then in the wild card, I've got the Braves and 
the Dodgers. So we'll see there. And then in the wild card, I've got the Houston Astros over uh, the Chicago Cubs, actually, the wild card. I had WC written down. I can't make sense of what I'm writing, apparently. In the World Series, I've got the Houston Astros getting the win over the Chicago Cubs. So we'll see. That should be a great matchup if it comes to that. Should be a great postseason, of course, as always, in Major League Baseball. Moving over to the NBA, as, of course, the push for the playoffs has gone full swing. One team that's not making the playoffs, they have been officially eliminated. That's why I didn't want to talk about this until they were officially out of the playoffs is the Lakers and the only thing they've missed it for six years in a row of course for the first five they didn't have the best player in basketball in LeBron James so this has just been really interesting it's been just uh, just a uh just a fuster cluck as I like to call it uh trying to be clean here on modern day gladiators uh, you know LeBron was out for an extended period of time yes that caused some issues but again you're the best player in basketball he's done a lot with very little talent, even in Cleveland. Of course, in, in Cleveland, he had Kevin Love. He had Kyrie Irving for some of that, but he had Kevin Love the whole time. So, yes, LeBron was able to get to the finals out east with the Cavaliers and the Miami Heat. He's run into some problems. I do think he's had a lack of defense on his end. I just think the young team just apparently, obviously, did not come together like they thought. So we'll see if they're going to be able to get some sort of free agent. Big signing there. We'll talk about more of that, of course, in the offseason with the NBA. They just couldn't get this team to work together. Does this tarnish LeBron's legacy? I do think it does a little bit. Some people are piling on LeBron, which I don't think is is the, the idea to do here. I do think, again, Jordan didn't need to do things like that. I think it does kind of lower him down a little bit because, again, they just he made this move to be in L.A. and run the show there and just, just a miserable team that they've had. Yes, I know Kobe and the Lakers didn't make the playoffs the last couple of years that they were there, but it just still, again, LeBron made this move. He had made been to eight straight finals. He hadn't won all of them, but he'd been to eight straight, and now it just kind of a drop-off for him. And because everybody had expectations, at least they were going to get into the playoffs for crying out loud. But that just was not the case. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure they're going to sign some sort of free agent, Kawhi Leonard, uh, some of the other guys that are out and available. We'll just see how that goes with the NBA uh, season coming up. And who knows, maybe they'll get somebody good in the draft. Maybe the lottery balls will fall their way. We'll see. Who knows? Uh... It could be a New York Knicks conspiracy theory. Of course, I save all the conspiracy theories for Haffle when they talk about that stuff. But again, a sad ending for LeBron and the Lakers. But hey, some people kind of enjoy that because, again, he just decides he can go wherever he wants. And it came and uh, bit him in the butt this time. So not making the playoffs. Just uh, breaking as I was recording this here on a Tuesday, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft has gone and pleaded not guilty and wants a jury trial on two misdemeanor counts of first-degree solicitation, which has been interesting. There has been an offer on the table for him to essentially plead guilty but not have anything come out or anything like this. But with a jury trial, there's claims of video and all these other things. So it's interesting where he's hedging his bets 
uh, with this. So I'm really interested to see. And of course, Florida, from what I have heard from people who know more about this than I do, that they have very liberal public records laws. So these videos could come out and we could see a lot of this, especially if it goes to a jury trial. It's all going to become part of public record. And I'm kind of interested to see why he's willing to fight it like this. We'll have to see as more details come out about that. And of course, we'll discuss more of that in the weeks and months to come. One of the interesting things I wanted to wrap up with this here on Shibbles and Bits was, actually, we've got two things here. I can, again, I can't read my own writing again. I just got off of from vacation. Thanks for everybody for listening to the quick vacation episode, breaking down the bracket. But we've got two things. First, uh, UFC star Conor McGregor is now under investigation for sexual assault back home in his native Ireland. Uh, No charges have been filed, but it does come almost as a coincidence because Conor McGregor uh, on Monday night announced quickly on social media that he was retiring from the UFC. But from people in the know there, it looks like that is just really a coincidence where this has kind of happened. Uh, The retirement is more because of a contract dispute he has had with UFC. So, and again, the last time we saw Conor McGregor, it was in that fracas after he lost to Habib back in October. Uh, There was the fracas after uh, the fight where both camps just got in a brawl with each other, which was just a big black eye for MMA in particular. We'll see what happens with this. Of course, Conor McGregor was also arrested for grabbing and breaking a Florida uh, resident's phone a couple of weeks ago. So it's not been a good uh, half year for Conor McGregor. Over, It hadn't been good. He hasn't won anything because he also got his butt kicked uh, by Money Mayweather in that boxing match, that sham of a boxing match. So you have that as well. So we'll see what happens. Of course, he could unretire at a moment's notice. But, of course, we'll talk more about that is stories break. But now the final thing I did want to talk about here in Shibbles and Bits was we talked about this a a couple of weeks ago, the uh, settlement in the uh, in the collusion case with Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed when it came to the belief that teams had worked and conspired to collude and keep Colin Kaepernick from playing because of his protests and everything. And a lot of people speculated that he was going to get a lot of money, that he was going to get upward to 50 to $80 million because they were going to have a, a, a trial and discovery and everything come through with this. And so the NFL settled and all these different things. So no one had really been come out and able to talk about anything, but it looks like probably leaked from the NFL, if I was to take a guess on who leaked this. According to a Wall Street Journal report, Colin Kaepernick and Aaron Reed, or Eric Reed are going to receive less than $10 million total in this settlement. In uh, a comparison to that, Colin Kaepernick's base salary back when he last played for the 49ers in 2016 was $12 million, and Eric Reed just signed a three-year $22 million uh contract with the Carolina Panthers after playing for them uh, midway through last season. So again, you look at this and you just see now the tone kind of shifts to who came out maybe as a winner in all of this. Because again, as we saw with the Mueller report, with the Russia investigation, collusion is very hard to prove as we can see and different things like that. The burden of proof is a lot when it comes to that. So when you look at all of this, 
Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, it almost looks like the NFL just gave them, really, $10 million is pocket change for the NFL. I mean, that is a drop in the bucket to them just to almost say, we don't want this to go to trial. Here's the evidence that we're going to see all of this. Take this money. We'll be done with this. And we can all move on with our lives, and it looks like they agreed to that. But it's very surprising because so many people came out and said that Colin Kaepernick was going to get paid. And, I mean, he's still getting paid. I would love to get, say, if they divided this evenly between the two, I'd love to get $5 million. Someone cuts me a check for $5 million, I would be dancing in the streets for that. But it's not nearly as much money as a lot of us almost assumed, which is always weird. Again, we're all in the media jumping to these different conclusions where sometimes, again, as I've said many times, you need to take five minutes, take a step back, maybe wait for more of this information to come out. And again, it looks like uh, they're still going to get paid, but not nearly as much money as we all assumed, as it looks almost like the NFL is like, here, just take this, please just go away, we'll work together again at some point, maybe. And again, that's just my opinion on it. I could be wrong. We'll just have to see how this all develops as more information might come out in the coming weeks and months. That wraps up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys again for listening as always. But let's hop into the squared circle as, of course, the build to WrestleMania is here. We are less than two weeks away from the granddaddy of, of them all, the show of shows. And the big news, of course, coming out this week was that the main event of WrestleMania for the first time will be a women's match between Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. The triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship will headline WrestleMania. So that is great news. That is big. I know, again, it is something that they have been talking about for a while. I've talked about it a little bit on this show, thinking that that's kind of the way that they were going. I even thought pretty much at the end of WrestleMania 34, last year's WrestleMania, that it was going to be kind of a build to hopefully have Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair as the main event of this WrestleMania. But, of course, Becky Lynch happened and everything went crazy. But I'm glad that it's happening. I know they're talking about this as just a great moment for women in professional wrestling, which it is. That is one of the great things that I'm excited about. But one of the things you always look about with the main event when it comes to WrestleMania is you want the most interesting story or a big title match on the line if you don't have a big story. You look at back in... Even back in WrestleMania 18 is a great example of this, where you had you had Triple H and Chris Jericho fighting for the Undisputed Championship on the line. The title match went on last, yes, but the bigger story was The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. That was the match that everybody remembers. That did not go on last, and that was just an amazing—I think it was a big just error in calculation— to have that happen, especially if you watch that match. It's a great match. It's a great throwback. It's an amazing study in audience participation and everything. So again, I want, yes, the title match should always be a big focal point. And I do think Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins is going to be a major focal point. We'll see where the Daniel Bryan and most likely Kofi Kingston event goes for the WWE Championship as well. Those should 
take place. But the biggest storyline and the storyline that it seems like everybody really cares about the most when it comes to wrestling fans right now is that title match between Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. And when that matters the most, and when that seems to be what your fans are invested in by far more than anything else you have going on, then by all means... Have that be the main event. So that's what I'm excited about and excited to see where they go with it. And hopefully the crowd is hyped for it. It also looks like coming out, uh, the news has come out that WrestleMania is going to be the longest one ever. They've already been long. I mean, it, it's going to be longer almost to fly to Tokyo at this point. I mean, it's probably going to be with the pre-show. It could be up to eight hours long, which is just going to be exhausting for me. But of course, I'll watch it because I'm an idiot. So, but... We'll talk about all of that. Some other big news in the WWE. It did get confirmed that NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa had to relinquish his championship because he had neck surgery, which is just bad timing because he and Johnny Gargano were going to have a two out of three falls match at the uh, NXT TakeOver right before WrestleMania. That, unfortunately, is not going to happen, so they needed somebody to step up. So Johnny Gargano is going to face Adam Cole, baby, for the NXT title in a two out of three falls match, which should be awesome anyway. It's just unfortunate because this just almost two-year-long storyline of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa was going to come to a head and end at this latest NXT takeover. But unfortunately, again, life gets in the way sometimes. Ciampa had to have the surgery. He had it, and he's going to be out for probably a year at least. So best wishes to Champa. Hopefully he comes back and has just continues this great rise that he has had. But again, the fatal five-way that Adam Cole had with the King of Bros, Matt Riddle, the Velveteen Dream, and then Aleister Black and Ricochet with Adam Cole. That was a great match on the latest episode of NXT, so check that one out. Uh, and again, Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano should be awesome no matter what. So again, NXT TakeOver is going to be great. Another thing that's happening that's going to be great is the uh, Ring of Honor uh, New Japan G1 Super Show that they're having in Madison Square Garden the night before WrestleMania. It's going to be the Saturday before WrestleMania in Madison Square Garden, sold out. It's the first wrestling event to happen in Madison Square Garden that has no part of the McMahon family involved in it at all, whether it's Vince Sr. or Vince Jr. or anybody involved with it. And that's the first time that's happened since the 60s. And it's going to be headlined by Kazuchika Okada taking on Jay White for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship as Okada went out and won the New Japan Cup, which was great. He had a great match with Sonata, which was kind of a Cinderella story as Sonata in the semifinals tapped out Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then, of course, uh, Okada had a great matchup with his chaos stablemate Tomohiro Ishii in the semifinals. It's been great wrestling. These tournaments that New Japan does, they do it right, and they know how to build stars when it looks that way. You've got Jay White, who is not as well-known as Okada, so you've got to have somebody headlining this show in Madison Square Garden like Okada being the guy against Jay White, and that's what they did with this tournament. The year before, they had Okada in the midst of a two-plus-year title reign. They needed somebody—they could bring somebody up, so they established a great star with Zack Sabre Jr. Many of you may know him from the WWE Cruiserweight Classic. He did great in that, but he went to New Japan, and then he submits— Kota Ibushi, Sonata, 
uh, Tetsuya Naito and Hiroshi Tanahashi on his way to winning the New Japan Cup last year. It establishes him as a star. Then he comes back even this year and makes a run to the quarterfinals, but even submitting Kota Ibushi, who many, myself included, had as winning this tournament. So... Again, but now Zack Sabre Jr. is looked at as a star and a title contender anytime he gets in the ring. So, again, I wish the WWE would pay attention to that because they could make a star in a second with having someone say like Matt Riddle come up to the main roster, beat someone in the first round that's like a former world champion, and then run to the finals and then say, submit Roman Reigns and then contend with Brock Lesnar for the world title. You can do that in a month which could take years sometimes of build to get people over. So, but that's my opinion. We'll, of course, talk way more about WrestleMania and everything surrounding WrestleMania, including the Super Show at Madison Square Garden, coming up next week on Modern Day Gladiators as the road to WrestleMania ends and, of course, the road to the Final Four ends. So two big things happening next week. It's going to wrap it up for this show. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always, of course, here to Modern Day Gladiators. Check us all out at outlandermedia.net, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, please like, subscribe, share, rate, review. That's how we get out into those algorithms. I appreciate it. I love you guys. I will see you guys next week. Too sweet. Adios. See you next time.